0: This program is brought to you by the Gin Society, www.ginsociety.com. Welcome to Lunch with Lee. I'm your host, Shane Lee. On the show today, Richard Cheekwee, former New South Wales opening batsman, scoring 131 to lead New South Wales to victory in 1993-94. He's the lead singer of the band Six and Out, and he's the Chinese Mick Jagger, Richard Cheekwee. Brad McNamara, our second guest, former New South Wales all-rounder, playing 59 games for New South Wales probably another 50 as 12th man and he's the lead guitarist in the band Six and Out and our third guest Sam Perry a cricket writer comedian and the brains behind the podcast The Great Cricketer. He's currently auditioning for a role in Six and Out. Please welcome Sam Perry. Let's get started. All right, boys, welcome to Lunch with Lee on the show today. We've got Richard Cheekwee, former New South Wales opening batsman. He's known better around the traps as a Chinese Mick Jagger. Welcome, Cheeks.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Shano. Nice to
0: see you, mate. You too, mate. Brad McNamara, former New South Wales All-Rounder, and he's the lead guitarist in the band Six Now. Out. So welcome, Buzzard. Hey, Shano,
2: great to be with you.
0: A good man, mate. And finally, Sam Perry. He's a cricket writer, comedian, and the brains behind the podcast, the great cricketer. Welcome, Sam. G'day, Shane. Great to be here among a couple of athletes. Oh, mate, how- well, yes, I'll use that term loosely. So, Cheeks, where, where does the name Cheek actually come from?
1: Uh, Wuhan. Uh- um, yeah. <laughs>
0: and thanks for that. That's the end of the session with Lunch with Lee. We'll be back next week.
1: <laughs> no, it comes from my father, my my, my grandfather. Uh, he was from mainland China in uh, Guangzhou mm-hmm. in the mainland. And, um, you know, my, my father, he came over. He was one of the first to actually – Migrate to Australia. They were heading for Darwin. Got off the boat on Thursday Island and thought, oh, "This looks pretty cool. We'll just stick here." And that's where my father was born. Wow. So yeah, yeah, it's it originated from the mainland part of China. But my mum's side, my grandfather, he was also from mainland China as well. So uh, I had a bit to do with him. Uh, my grandfather who actually was the only person sitting in the member stand when I made my debut for New South Wales, and never forget it. Mum and my grandfather and. We had our room attendant, Merv Sarahs, put two and two together, thought, you must be Mrs. Cheekwee. And she said, uh, mum said, yeah, yeah, we are. And she said, go and help yourself to uh, tea and scones and everything into Lovely. the just through that door and out to the back. And um, I remember in the, it was my very first game and Phil Emery was the captain. And he came out and said, um, Cheeks, you might want to have a word to your mum because she's not allowed in the dressing room. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there she was making herself a cup of tea when Robbo was coming out of the out of the bath. After just having a shower, and uh, she said, don't mind me, I'm just making myself a cuppa. So that's where it started.
0: Fantastic. And it was a tough cheeks growing up. You you and your brother, Michael, as you say, like being young little Chinese boys playing great cricket, that that must have been tough in some ways.
1: Yes and no. Um, Look, my brother and I, we grew up as Australians, as Aussies. Uh, We were born and bred in a fish and chip shop. We played soccer during the winter. We played cricket during the summer. Anytime we could, we were kicking a ball or, you know, playing cricket. So we got to assimilate through our sport. And, you know, my brother and I and my sister, we were all the only Asian kids in our school, let well, alone our okay. class. So we, we really, we were the minority in growing up. So mm. getting racially sledged every day was normal, you know, and it's, it's sad to say, but it was normal. So, and I look back on it now and, and I think, well, it sort of made us, harden us up for what lied ahead. My parents had to make a decision what was the best way for us to assimilate, and they could have forced us to, you know, live and breathe the Chinese way, but the easiest way was to be the Aussie way. So hence our accent. I I would consider the three of us all success stories in our own right because we've assimilated into society, not because I've played for New South Wales, not because my brother's doing so well in his job, but it's just because we, we've, we've been accepted as true Australians and that makes me more proud than anything else.
0: And Buzzard, you grew up in Punchbowl. That would have been an interesting early, yeah, early days. well, let me
2: tell you, it'd be even more interesting now Yeah, growing up there. <laughs> uh, look, what, back when I was kicking around, Punchbowl um, didn't quite have the migrant influx that it does now. I mean, it's large, uh, very heavily uh, Arabic-dominated. Domin- I sort of missed... The worst part of that, or, or the major part of that, probably shouldn't say worst part of it. Yeah, but it was pretty rough, uh, very working working class fibro type area. Uh, went to Punchbowl High. Uh, got some fair alumni, Punchbowl High. Uh, yes. Je- Jeff Thompson and Lenny Pascoe, or then Len Dertanovic. Yes. Those, those, those pair went to Punchbowl High, as did uh, the recently departed Goresdy Solstee folks, the uh, mm. Bulldogs rugby league legend. So, yeah, uh, very, very uh, humble, working-class origins. Grew up in Greenacre, sort of, you know, a, a very normal, you know, middle-class upbringing, really. i um, not really sure how I got into cricket. It sort of just happened at, at school. I don't remember, you know, didn't, didn't have any brothers, so there were no backyard, not much backyard stuff going on at my place, but my first memories of getting stuck in the cricket are, are uh, with, the, with the, the metal
0: garbage tins at school and yes. a tennis ball on a bat and, and ripping in. And Sam, you played for Balmain and the North Sydney Bears. So, did you grow up in the North Sydney area?
3: Yeah, pretty much. Eh? And I, I grew up in Ryde, and then we sort of later moved to Hunters Hill. So, it was kind of close enough. And then um, the connection with North was really through my dad's side of the family. He's from a big Catholic family. He's got, uh, there's him and four other brothers. And two sisters, and they all—well, not the sisters, but all the boys played uh, in around North Sydney, in Ferleng Cove, and stuff like that. So I had always had a really good connection with the club there, and they're also, you know, mad North Sydney Bears rugby league fans as well. So gotcha. uh, you know, the opportunity to to play at North Sydney Oval was extra special uh, beyond just playing for the cricket side. So that's kind of how it came about.
0: And, and your podcast, The Great Cricketer, it's really struck a chord, obviously, with a lot of. Sort of weekend warriors. What, what what do you think? How have people related to that, and why have they related to it? Do you think?
3: That's a good question. I think that when we started it, there was um, well, firstly, no one else from grade cricket was really talking about what that experience was like. So when when we talk about grade cricket, like cricket, might be the thing that we talk about, but really, it's the unsaid things that get themselves onto the cast and I think really resonate with people. So, you know, for, for listeners out there, I know you guys are well aware of it and you are probably perhaps a bit too good for grade cricket, but it's the level below state cricket. So it's just that perfect level where you're close to that dream. You know, everyone who plays grade cricket probably had a dream of wanting to play for Australia. Um, so you're close to it, but you're not close enough. So you, you compete against professional players, but you yourself pay to play. Um, it's a really brutal level of cricket. You put a lot of time and money and energy into it. Um, And then you realize you're actually paying to do what is basically a part-time job uh, unsuccessfully. And so there's a lot of comedy within that and there's a lot of stuff to mine within that, you know, the the amount of time that you spend on it that you you normally fail, that you're probably not going to pursue, you're probably not going to realize your dream and then all of the fun you have along the way and all of the secret or unspoken rules around grade cricket and how to succeed all all sort of lends itself to a little bit of comedy and a little bit of humor and I think that's kind of um, what's resonated with people.
0: I remember people asking me when I retired at the age of 29, you know, why am I not, still not playing great cricket, and I, to which I responded, <laughs> you play great cricket on a parched field with a parched throat and every second <laughs> bloke calls you a fucking arsehole. So there's not much upside in <laughs> it really, is there? <laughs> That's pretty much it, mate, yeah.
1: In, in fact, Shano, what did you do with your kit bag when you retired, if I recall?
0: I did. Check, so I was sponsored by Kookaburra for my whole career, career and I decided to buy a boat Not growing up on boats at all, being from Oak Flats, and um, so I uh, bought a boat with a really good mate of mine, Andrew Yates, who now runs KPMG. He's from Canberra, so he didn't really grow up on boats either. So the first day we bought this boat, we went out, the first Saturday we had off in 20 years, and I threw my Kookaburra career kit ceremoniously overboard, and (laughs) apparently there's a nice little uh, reef down there somewhere out in the middle of Sydney Harbour, but... I wish I would have kept it now as my son's starting to play cricket. Bats are expensive. Well, like,
3: Shane, that's so true. I mean, we get lots of listeners writing into us about their rituals for ending their cricket career. And, like, you're not alone in that mm. in that company. Like, a lot of guys start talking about burning their bats and stuff. And we've started kind of <laughs> encouraging people to um, do a burning of the bats at the end of every season. It's it's obviously an important, um, you know, anthropological ritual that you've got to go through just to end that career. So I understand where you're coming from. Got it. So, Speaking of ending careers, Buzz, you nearly ended mine my, my first game <laughs> when we roomed together. You remember that
0: story, Buzz?
2: I do. Yes, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I'm not quite sure I was that highly a senior player at that stage, but that was back in the day when uh, when you had a roomie. And look, if I had one job, it was to get you to the ground on time on, on match day. <laughs> really, um, if I had two jobs, the second one was to show you a good night the night before. <laughs> It's one out of two. The third job was probably make sure we celebrate appropriately if we did have a good day the next day. Well, unfortunately, I did two a little bit better than one, yes. and <laughs> I think that led to number three not happening. Well, I remember. But uh, cut a long story short, remember we used to get off the uh, we get off off the plane in Brisbane. <laughs> And there'd be some dubious-looking characters hanging out, handing out drinks cards. <laughs> the uh, famous uh, establishment called City Rollers, which yes. unfortunately is no longer—it's there, but it, I think it's in a different name now. But uh, free drink cards, the City Rollers, for the weekend. Now, I, I reckon Queensland cricket used to put these guys up to that because it sure did back in the day. That was a red flag. Yeah, it was just right, the red flag of the ball? Free drinks cards in a, in a in a well-known establishment in Brisbane. Suffice to say, sometimes that was a little hard to te- to uh, <laughs> resist the night before the game. And I think, Shano, you might have fallen foul on one of those occasions. And unfortunately, I think we were in two rooms, weren't we? We were, and, side by side. And I left the rookie with the job of setting the alarm. There's only one alarm clock <laughs> uh, in the joint. And I left you with the, the job of setting the alarm, mm. which you duly stuffed up. And uh, the funny thing about that is we got to the ground late and um, usually there was a When you get to the ground, there were a couple of sponsor shirts, different colours, and everyone had liaised before we went out the train. And I think the team was out the back of the nets and we didn't know which shirt, the white or the blue, to Put on. We put the wrong one on, so to make matters worse, we turned up late and had the wrong shirts on.
0: <laughs> well, the, the most <laughs> nerve-wracking quite- thing is when I got the knock on the door by by the concierge that said that uh, Mr. Mark Taylor, the captain, said if you two boys aren't down the ground in ten minutes, don't fucking bother showing up. So that wasn't a great start to my career. But uh, cheeks, what? Tell a story when you and your brother Michael got on a plane to go play in Northern England as two young Australian cricketers showing up at the airport. What happened there?
1: Yeah, I mean that's such a strong accent too, and. In the north of England, it was in in Liverpool actually. Uh, 1989 was the first year my brother and I went over there with two other Rammick players, uh, Andrew Milliken and also Adam Harris. Uh, Andrew Spike being the, our captain. But the problem was they didn't know what we looked like, and we didn't know what he looked like, the guy that was supposed to meet us at Lime Street Station. So Spike held up a Rammick jumper and yelled out Rammick cricketers, Rammick cricketers. And the scouser hobbled over and said, fucking hell, are you the Aussies, Lake?" And, and uh, Andrew said, yeah, g'day, mate. I'm Andrew Milliken. This is Adam Harrison. Those two blokes there, that's Richard and Michael Cheekwee. He said, fucking hell, are you Australian lake? And I said, g'day, mate. Nice to meet you. Richard Cheekwee. This is my brother, Michael. How you going, pal? And he said, well, you we fucking sound like them. And uh, that was it. It was great. We, we got on really, really well. And that was the first year. And he said, you two can go and play for Liverpool. Spike, you can come and play with me at Sefton. And Adam, you can go and pro at witness. Now, Liverpool, they were—they came last in everything the year before. And oh, it was just, we turned up, we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what the standard was like. They, we just turned up and the captain said, look, we're going to have a net session before we decide which team we're going to pick you in. And they had like four or five teams in this competition. And suffice to say that their first team was sort of a mixture of say second third fifth and sixth grade players it was just it was all over the place and here was Michael and I going over that we didn't know what to expect so fortunately we had a good net and when they picked us in first grade in their first team and uh yeah we 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 did okay We, we collectively we broke a few records and we uh show them that, yeah, Chinese can play cricket.
0: You sure did. And Buzzard, post-cricket, you, you went on to work with Channel 9, end up heading up cricket for Channel 9 for many years, but you 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 spent many time, many a day and many a night, I'm, I'm assuming, with, with the great Richie Benno and Ian Chappell and Bill Lowry and Tony Gregg and these boys. It yeah. must have been some really good memories.
2: Well, I'm still, unfortunately, still, well, fortunately, still spending many nights with Ian Chappell, who's, <laughs> who's still on my tour, uh, in my role with Fox now. Yep. Um, yeah, look, it was a... It, it was quite surreal, actually. I mean, firstly, to um, you know, to grow up as you guys would have done with Richie, Bill, Tony, and Ian as the co- you know that, that just I don't think they'll ever be as iconic commentary team ever again, to be honest. And I, I, I'm not sure just in Australia, but anywhere, and to all of a sudden be working with those guys. I mean, it was just just a thrill to play a few games for New South Wales and have those guys commentate and say your name was was just amazing. But then to end up sort of working with them and then to take it to another level look I'll never say I was their boss that's that's probably not the right way to put it but mm-hmm. to be in charge of, of the production that you know they were fronting was was a occasionally you had to to pinch yourself uh, we're talking about Brisbane I mean there's lots of lots of stories that you know we feel three hours talking about stories about those guys but Richie was just an amazing character a very unique character in some ways hard to get to know. But one thing about Richie is he did love a sip. He, he did, did love a drink. He and, loved uh, a glass of wine, um, didn't he? He loved a glass of wine. And, and then there's the great story about uh, on the plane, and <laughs> I used to see it happen quite often where the he would come up and down the aisle, go, uh, Mr. Beto, would you like the red or the white? And quite often he'd go, both. And, and the, look, <laughs> the look on their face when he said that was just priceless. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, he'd love a sip. I remember one night we, we took him up to uh, It's still there now, Char 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 in Brisbane Got him on the Oyster Shooters Jesus. And uh, Richie used to love a drink oh, I'll Give one of those a go And about 11 later we, we, we had him stumbling out And myself and big Ronnie Castorina Who you'd know, who worked at Nine for a long time Still there now We had to act as a pinball machine as Richie was in between us Walking him back to the hotel <laughs> Sort of bumping off us But uh, a great man Look, we miss him dearly, miss Tony dearly you know those guys will will never be uh, mm. never be replicated and there's been you know you you, you want to get a uh, some attention just start talking about any sort of sports commentary but yeah um you know the the hardest thing in sport was to try and replace those guys and at the end you know um, <laughs> it was Not almost easy. an impossible job but great memories um you know, they, they, I, I mean, I love watching all the old vision now. That yeah. that
0: night after you got Richie on Oyster Shooters, was that the night he crashed his car into the rocks and in Coochie no, there? Well, it <laughs>
2: well, not wasn't, wasn't quite. But there, <laughs> there was another. Well, I can tell Abby Richie stories. Right you will the tell. I remember we, we we were in the 03 World Cup in South Africa, and I don't know what the hell I was doing there. I wasn't doing much, to be honest. <laughs> but there was myself, Richie, Mark Taylor, Ian Hurley, and Tony Gregg. And you know what the World Cups are like. I mean, Shana, you played in one in India, and, two actually, but actually Brad. Two. But anyway, we'll talk about Sorry, that later. Mate. Yep. Sorry, mate. Too, and right. uh, we won't go into into what happened to your bedroom, uh, into your uh, flat when you were away in India. That's a, probably another podcast story. That's, after,
0: that's after dark. I think, yeah. yeah,
2: pretty
1: please. <laughs>
2: but um, anyway, cut a long story short. It was it was one day's work and about eight days golf and drinking in between. And one day uh, we were in Port Elizabeth. we would arranged to play golf with Richie. You'd had a monster night out the night before with Ian Botham and a guy called Ian Frickbird. Did you? I'm not sure if you guys know of him. Yeah. But he was a, yep. a, a great, great character and a great media identity. Basically, catalogue story short, Richie had taken a tumble in the shower, <laughs> coming home with a few too many. Under ah, his belt. fuck! And, uh, uh, don't think I'll be joining you today, boys. As he came out of the lift with, in a sling, we thought we'd killed him. So, uh, uh, great man, Richie. Uh, Love living and, uh, look, when, when, you know, the cliche one of a kind is used, definitely uh, at Ferrucci. Sam and Tony, all, all those guys, in fact, Bill Lurie and uh, they're just, uh,
0: yeah, we'll just never see the likes of that again. Mate, well, it, Very funny, Buzzard.
3: He's <laughs> well, it, a leggy, right? Sam, were you were you a leggy? Uh, I, I was, but I, I've... Shudder being mentioned in the same breath as uh, Richie Benno, yeah. But they're all a bit left of centre, aren't they, the leggies? You know, Warnie, McGill, Richie, the boys? You, you- yeah, I think you have to. It's like an occupational hazard, you know. I mean, if, you, if you're coming in and bowling a ball extremely slowly and trying to rotate it out of your wrist and getting demolished most of the time as pretty much every leg spinner does, bar Shane Warn. Sure. You have to have some a couple of screws loose psychologically, I think, just to cope with that, which is probably why you find a higher degree of um, uh, left of centre wrist spinners. I'm not sure you can't throw spinners into that full stop. Yeah, I think you're right. Good point. (laughs)
2: point.
0: Look, unfortunately, we need them, don't we? When the wicket's flat, (laughs) he's got to put up with them. We'll take a quick break now. We'll be back after lunch on Lunch with Lee. no secret i love a gin and one of our sponsors here lunch with lee is the gin society which i happen to be a member of when you sign up they'll send you a full-size bottle of amazing craft gin delivered to your door every two months plus the latest issue of their beautiful gin journal magazine and a surprise gift absolutely free each gin is sourced by a team of experts looking for exclusive unique and exquisite drops from around the world A subscription to the Gin Society is your passport to the world of craft gin. No strings attached. Cancel any time. Check out the website www.ginsociety.com All listeners of Lunch With Lee can enjoy an exclusive $20 off their order when they join the Gin Society. Simply visit ginsociety.com Just use the code LUNCHWITHLEE20 at checkout. Spartan Sports is recognised as one of the world's most exciting and innovative sporting brands with a community focus. Our product range across cricket, rugby, football, volleyball, basketball and fitness has been developed to sell directly to any club, school, corporate or individual. Go to our website and order directly to your front door, www.spartansports.com Spartan Sports, unearth the warrior in you. Hey, um, so Buzz, tell us a story. I think we were playing a game at the Adelaide Oval in the flattest wicket in the world, it was New Year's Eve and you were batting your 50 knot out at Stumps on New Year's Eve. Yeah. What happened next
2: day? I uh, can't remember what year it was. Well, uh, firstly, I mean, there's a lot of column inches generated to cricket scheduling these days, but what sort of saddest would put a, a first-class game in that encompasses New Year's Eve and New Year's Day? That was just ridiculous. And as you say... I think at the time I'd been struggling for runs. Was probably safe to say that was most of my career in the New South Wales. But I remember Tugger Steve Orr was not out. God knows how many. And, and you're right. This wicket, at, at the old Adelaide over wicket, well, the, even the wicket now, it, it can be flat. And when you get in, you got to cash in. And I was. I remember going in a New year Steve 57 not out. And anyone that's played with Tugger, Tugger was in there. Right, mate. This is the big one now. Get out there tomorrow. Let's really cash in here. Really, really make this one count. You know, this is your chance, sort of thing. Anyway, New Year's Eve happened, didn't it? You made it count. Oh, I made it count all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was about 40 degrees on New Year's Day. I've gone through the warm-up and I'm facing the first over and, and they bring James Brayshaw right.
0: Oh, God.
2: Uh, I'm, I'm thinking James Bray. Yeah.
0: He's 200.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking right. Huh? James Brayshaw, they've obviously just brought him on the changes. Anyway, safe to say I'm not saying them all that well. I'll let the first few go. And he bowls this ab- third or fourth ball, this absolute... Long hop outside off start my and that. yep, I'm going to have a piece of that. That'll be four. Just a little uh, cut back with a point. You didn't have to hit it too hard at Adelaide Oak. We'll Just get it past the field. Four runs. Unfortunately, I nicked it to probably the second best fielder I've ever seen, Jamie Siddons, who swallowed it up. And I uh, can't remember what year it was. It might have been 1996 or something like that. Safe to say it wasn't a great start to the year. Uh but I blame the schedulers, mate. It was, it's, as you know, you guys played me. It was never my fault. It was always someone else's fault, Never put that down to poor scheduling.
0: I remember not long after that buzzer, we went up to to Cairns to uh, to play a gig for six and out. And I turned thirty up there, and the boys put Sam boys put a um, a bit of a day on for me. We were, we were playing that night. I think we were on stage at ten o'clock. So we decided to go up the road to Port Douglas for the day and and Brad McNamara said, you know what, I've always wanted to know how many drinks you have in a big session. So he made up some golf scorecards and he said, Shane, you mark me, Brett, I'll mark Brett, Brett, you mark Robbo, Robbo, you mark Cheeks and Cheeks mark Shane. A beer's worth one, a spirit's worth one, anything's worth one. We went up on this day, we started at 10 in the morning, we are on on stage at 10 o'clock that night. We gave
1: uh, Robo a twenty-five head start too. We did, me.
0: and um, yeah. to cut a long story short, Buzzard, you were, you were halfway through the day. You were on about forty-eight drinks that I'd counted, oh. and you mentioned that um, guys probably don't mention this. So you were doing IVF at the time, and. Um, <laughs> As it oh, I on.
2: wasn't. I was involved
0: in it. As it showed it was unsuccessful, you said, Kerry's going to give birth to a Corona bottle, but, uh, <laughs> but she did it. Thank, thank goodness. But I think you, you ended up in hospital, Buzzard. You, you won the match. I think you got 63. I think Brett came second on 61. I, I was third at 59, Cheeks 57, and Robbo on 25 was none of which he bought. But uh, they, they were really, really good times, Cheeks. And you, you were our front man then. You had good times in six and out.
1: Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, we had a lot of fun. I mean, we got to travel around Australia playing music. It's one of the highlights of my life. Obviously, we incorporated cricket with our background into the band and uh, we met some really cool people along the way. We got lucky along the way and all of a sudden, you know, we've got five CDs up our belt. So they could never take that away. I mean, but we did it for fun.
0: Cheeks, tell a story when you are in Northern England, when you inside edge a ball in cricket, it's called a French cut. What do they call it in England?
1: I found out the hard way, Shane. Uh, yeah, it was against uh, against a team called Formby. I was actually playing with my brother, and uh, he was at the non strikers' end. And they said, Whatever you do, do not wind up their opening bowler. His name's Jerry Byron, <laughs> and he runs in and he just hates Aussies. And I said, Well, that's okay. We don't look Australian. He won't know. So for the first three overs, he ran in off about four steps. He was about 62 years old. And he just let this ball go and just drifted it onto the spot into that corridor of suspicion. And we just couldn't, I just couldn't, I just kept kicking him away. So I thought, I can't do this all day. So I ran down at him and tried to hit him over mid off. And I managed to get an inside edge, went past leg stump. And because I'd run down the deck, I was halfway down already. So I just walked the rest of the (laughs) way. He looked at me, I thought that was a sign of arrogance. And I thought, well, I'm just going to trot through. And he stood there with hands on his hips. And he stood there and looked at me and he said, fucking Johnny's cut. And I said, what did you say? He said, fucking Johnny's cut. And I said, that's what I thought you said. So off come my gloves. And I picked him up and I was about to nut him when the umpire comes over and says, oi, what's fucking going on? And I said, you heard what he said. And the umpire says, yeah, fucking Johnny's cut. So what? So I grabbed the umpire as well. So I've got them both. And my brother comes running up and goes, yeah, I'm here with you as well, mate. It's game on here. And Anyway, it's settled down. And he said, fucking Chinese cut. I said, mate, I know what he said. And so I found out in England, they call it a Chinese cut. I've always known it as a (laughs) French cut. Not a French cut. Nice one. But the the thing is, in the bar at the end, we had the greatest night. And that story is now folklore in England. He was sitting in the, in the corner with a Hawaiian shirt on, smoking cigars and drinking whiskey. 62 years old, Jerry Byram. And I drank with him all night. And when I left, I had to ask him the question. I said, Jerry, i got to know, mate. What did you say? And he looked at me. He said, you'll never fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. I, I still don't know. So, Jerry, if you're out there, mate, tell me. I need yeah. to know.
0: That's the beautiful thing about cricket. I think you can have a good go on the field, but you can have a beer afterwards. So I want to ask you all all the same question here: the best sledge, Buzzard. You, you're going to go first.
2: Um, used to be a bloke that opened the batting for Gordon. I think he only played for Gordon. Michael Kant, lovely fella, uh, stodgy left-hander, very hard to get out. Valued his wicket much in the old mould of uh, grade cricket. You know, yeah, cricket. There used to be a lot of those sort of players around back then. He's actually. Extremely high up in the Commonwealth Bank now. If he's not, I think he's
0: an actuary. Second, actually,
2: actually second or third in charge. Yeah. So me sledging someone of that intelligence probably not the, the smartest thing I've done. <laughs> but anyway, you know the white line fever happens. Anyway, playing playing up at Bird Oldfield, old the old ground up at Kalara, beautiful old ground. We had a bit of a shower. That that stage I was playing uh, playing for St George. I played my first half of my career at Western. Went over to play at St George, and uh, the ground was quite wet. And we we've uh, we've come out and. Uh, Bowled a few balls and you get the rag out and whatever. Anyway, I've run into bowl third or fourth ball of my over. The ball's wet, and you know, sometimes your your thumb or something just catches in your pocket as you're in your delivery stride. Anyway, ball runs out of my hand, trickles over to cover, and Michael Kant waltzes over and just goes whack, smashes it through the ground over the wet grass into a, a pool of water for four runs. And and I was blowing up and bowling with a wet ball. I mean, you just don't. I would never do that sort of thing. But anyway, uh, he's well within his rights to do it. Most people probably wouldn't do it. And uh, came back, bowled him the next ball. And it's probably the only time I've ever bowled a beamer on purpose in my life. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> um, Bowling a beamer and said, sorry, mate, the ball's a bit wet, slippery. And by the way, I didn't realise they misspelt your the name in the paper every week. <laughs> you
0: can't hear <you> beauty. <laughs> and Sam, what about you, mate? What's the
3: best sledge or you've ever copped or given? Yeah, probably more more copped. It takes a little bit of a run-up, but basically I was playing fourth grade leading into the season. So I was pre-season in fourth grade, but, you know, as there's always a way in grade cricket, you know, the uh, every, every club has a manager and our manager's name. I was playing for Balmain. His okay. name is Alan Morris, and, and he'd always sort of give me a tap and say, no, you doing well, you know, leg spinner, you're coming through, or 16 or 17. And I was sort of leading into round one, but there were a few pre-season games to play. And I was at a mate's place and um, I got a call from my dad and he said, you know, Sam, um, Alan Morrison's just been on the phone. You've been selected in the first grade trial to play against Penrith tomorrow. You better get home. And I was like, oh, unbelievable. You know, coming from fourth grade, didn't see it coming. This is Balmain, you know, that side was sort of Hayne and Mail and... Crazier, I think, might have been there, and a couple of other sort of under nineteens players. So I thought, oh, I've, I've, leap, I've leapfrogged a couple of guys here, but yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm, um, you know, I've, I've, I've shown some potential, and um, you know, they're, they're really starting to believe in me. And Alan told my dad, yeah, no, we've had our eye on Sam for a long time now. You know, we're looking forward to seeing what he can do. So next morning, you can imagine how excited I was as a sixteen year old. Sure. Next morning, got picked up by Richard Burton, who was a pretty sort of successful opening bowler for for Bowman, dri- driven all the way to Howl Oval in Penrith. Penrith had won the one-day comp the year before, and uh, I noticed a bit of a quizzical look on Richard's face as he picked me up, but, you know, <laughs> so he did, we, and we drove all the way to Howl Oval, got in there, and um, we um, bowled first against Penrith, and we did pretty well. I came on to bowl. Greg Mayle was a captain. He put five blokes out in the boundary straight away, four in, <laughs> um, sort of from the 30th over brought me. I'm like, okay, I had to wait, but it came on. And I end up getting Simon Williams out, who was their captain, and some other guy. And I, I took two for 20, and we bowled him out for 110. And we got the runs really easily. I was batting 10. So I thought, oh, I've just had a great day. I've taken two for in first grade trial. Um, already on the phone to my mates in third and fourth grade saying, boys, it's selection night. It was selection night that night, selection night. And um, I'm going to be seeing um, everyone in first, or second grade. I thought ones or twos easily, and uh, got to selection night. All had a few beers, I suppose, and um, sat down. And fifth grade get, got read out. Wasn't even listening. Fourth grade got read out, and last name on the fourth grade sheet: Sam Perry. Oh Jesus! How's this happening? Greg Hain was reading it out, and he said, "Yeah." Um, uh, my face went red. He just said, "Yeah." Uh, we actually meant to select um, Sam Hinton in first grade today, um, but Alan Morrison called Sam Perry by accident, and he came. He took two for twenty, bowled the house down. So he was, he was looking really good for this year, and everyone was just in hysterics. Um, <laughs> I, I could have died, but I just remember him saying he could have bowled the house out of my one of my best mates still to this day, Nathan Ball. He's just thought it was yep. the funniest thing he'd ever seen in his life. Uh, anyway, really? left the club soon after. <laughs> and what about you, Cheeks?
1: I remember playing a game in 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 grade cricket, first grade, and it was on a pretty dusty, coochie over wicket. It was wet and it was it was going through the top and it was a real tough day. And I went in there, I think it was two for not many, and uh, after about five or six overs, one of the blokes in slips walks, walks past me and says, geez, that must look like a chopstick to you, mate. <laughs> He's talking about me bat and he, and he called me Cheeks. I said, I'm glad you knew my name because I don't know who you are. And uh, anyway, so I really struggled this day, but he maybe put my head down and I managed to get myself to 50 and all of a sudden the clouds opened up, the so wickets start to get a bit easier and you wouldn't know it, I got to 100. So I remember turning back around to him and I said, not bad for a chopstick, mate.
0: <laughs> I love it, mate. <laughs> I read one of the, the funniest ones I ever, I have ever witnessed was uh, Warnie in South Africa just after apartheid and... He was bowling to that Brian McMillan, the big South African all-rounder, and Warney was giving it to him. Now, you guys don't deserve to be in test cricket. You're not good enough here and et cetera, et cetera. And he just turned to Warney and said, hey, Warnie, every day in South Africa, ten people go missing. One more word to make a fucking difference. And Warney fucking shut <laughs> himself and shut up and never said another word. So that was definitely one of the best stages I ever heard. Now, um, just a, qu- a quick highlight from each of you before, before we leave. Um, Cheeks, highlight of your career so far?
1: On the cricket field. Uh, look,
0: one hundred and five. For me, a...
1: it would have to be the uh, my hundred against the West Indies. Yes, um, yeah. I'd been dropped from from New South Wales, and it was my my first game back after being dropped. And you know, when I when I think about my childhood, I think about the West Indies because in the backyard playing with my brother Michael, he was always Australia, and I was always the West Indies. I just loved them, and they were my idols. You know, when when uh, Clive Lloyd uh, was batting I had to bat left-handed yeah. and you know when uh, Viv Richards was batting I had to chew gum that was the way we played when Alan Border was batting Michael had to bat left-handed and we had the the greatest test matches that went for a week in the backyard yeah brilliant so to have the opportunity to play against those guys in a first class game you know Courtney Walsh and Curtly Ambrose running in probably lucky enough that we had a pretty flat new Newcastle wicket but still it's in the book. It's the runs are there, and um, that, that, for me, looking back, was probably more emotional than any other score that I scored, particularly for New South Wales.
0: And what about you, Buzzard? I probably never told you this, but you uh, you were a, had a massive influence on my career. You taught me actually how to bowl at the death. A lot to learn, a lot from you. What—what what was your highlight, mate?
2: Well, my highlight—I'd have to say now—it's funny how age changes the way you look at things. Sure, um, so it, true. Look, and not personal highlights. My highlights uh, are the Shield finals we won and the one-day finals we won. But probably if I had to pick out the the year, I think 93, 94, and both of you guys would have played, we won the double that year. We won the Shield and the one-day final. With with a side that was – look, it was New South Wales B team, let's let's be honest, in some, in some mm. stages. The C team was our test players were just away for the whole team. But, but the brand of cricket we played and the way we uh, – we gelled as a team, and and um, just the the time we had together, and and I think you you know winning a shield and a one day competition in a unit like that was uh, something that I look back on now, and uh, will never be you know uh, you, you never forget that. And it's easy to go to individual highlights. Um, I just I just tend to think they're the things that I tend to hang on now, and and the the fact that you know we can catch up and have a beer and have a laugh about those things. Yeah, you know, twenty years exactly later. Right. That's probably the highlight of my career. Agreed. Must be
1: due for a reunion, Buzzard. Okay. Yeah.
2: Well, it's funny. I, I um, you guys aren't quite as old as me, but I, I was involved in the eighty nine ninety squad that that uh, won the shield. Uh, I didn't didn't play, hardly play uh, at, at all, but a, a squad reunion they had a couple of months ago, um, and that that was a, a great fun and an, an amazing experience having all those old timers back together. But uh, Geez, time flies, doesn't it? We're talking sort of twenty five sure years ago now. So you're right, two so weeks. We're well over a you
3: And Sam, what's your highlight, mate, from your career? There's been heaps. I mean, obviously, none on the nothing on the level that you guys have experienced or achieved. But I, I'll never forget. I mean, in terms of one thing that I'd love to tell, you know, my my kid, kids, or or, or grandkids. Um, probably two thousand six, two thousand seven. Was playing in a. Um, playing a first grade one day against uh, West. And we, again, we got rolled as we always did for Norths um, quite quickly. And I just got this incredible vantage point to watch uh, Phil Hughes bat uh, for about um, 20, 30-odd overs as he as he calmly compiled sort of 60 or 70 not out, um, just mm-hmm. uh, with great precision placing the ball into gaps in, in a way that I hadn't seen other batters do before. And there was a lot of good players going around in first grade cricket around that time. He was very young, as you'd imagine, Um when he was doing that and I remember watching him and thinking he's very special. Um, and and obviously there've been some tragic circumstances since, but I'll never forget one particular shot. I just watched him, um, go back and across to an off spinner and just, um, uh calmly guide the ball in between cover and point for four and it's for some reason just vividly sticks in my memory i think i was fielding at 45 probably the least important position at the time but i got a perfect vantage point of the way he put the ball through the gap and the way he played the shot and i just thought i'm very lucky to be here to to watch this in the flesh on the field so uh, that's just one thing that sticks out to me when i think about um some of the great things uh, i was able to see and people i was able to play against in my career
0: Nice well, well said I think Look the one thing We've all got in common now Is we're all retired So it's, it, <laughs> it is It is the stories And the memories That we have boys And I want to Thank you all For coming on the show um, I want to thank Cheeks and, and Buzz In particular For being Not only two great teammates But two really good mates And Sam Thanks for giving us Those laughs mate On the, um, on the great cricketer Mate you're doing A fantastic job there So thanks for coming On the show boys I really appreciate it Sweet mate That's it for Lunch with Lee this week. A big thank you goes out to our guests, Richard Cheekwee, Brad McNamara and Sam Perry. Thanks to Hilton Headley for your hard work behind the scenes. And thanks to our new junior reporter, Chris Muldoon, for his work on research. And thanks to our sponsors, The Gin Society and Spartan Sports. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. Come find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Next week, we'll be chatting to a few more smooth operators talking about music, sport and business. It'll be another cracking episode of Lunch with Lee. We'll see you then. (music)